hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Kanja Book Club, a weekly teeny podcast where we intentionally experience the Star Wars expanded universe one story at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, or by the High Republic Quizzes standards, Bell Zetafar. And I am joined by the one and only Patrick McIntosh. Patrick, did you take this quiz and who are you? I did not, but if I'm not Little Great Storm, I'm highly disappointed. <laughs> I, I can understand I that sentiment. I don't think it's because our personalities link. It's just that man's man's the greatest. He really, he really is though. And I know that while Adam is taking this quiz right now, he is hoping and praying with his fingers crossed that he is loading Great Storm. Adam, do you know your answer yet? Yes, I was given Stellan Geos. Hey, that is that is perfectly admirable. Perfectly at one of the three. Man, you're killing it. Yep. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good, good. Well, hey, we got out of that relatively unscathed. It's a friendly conversation to start off the show. I think this is mostly because Patrick and I had a sleeper fest last week um, in our Man U Liverpool matchup. And uh, tomorrow does not seem to probably be any better. Just thinking ahead. The best nap watching the last game. Like I was watching that game like somebody's old dad in front of the TV. Like I heard the commentate the commentator go Bruno Fernandez with a free kick and I'm like huh huh what's that oh he missed it time to go back to sleep <laughs> wake me up when the final whistle happens must have been hard to watch 500 yeah. million pounds not do what they're paid to do <laughs> score or did they do what they were asked to do <laughs> or let's be honest though Holly I would love I would love to be making a cut of that and not be doing anything so I'm sure they're not really complaining <laughs> I mean y'all can pay me a hundred thousand dollars British pounds a week to not score on Liverpool yeah I'll just sit on the bench. Like, I'll do nothing. <laughs> you can be Jesse Lingard. We can just sit there in the cold and say, well, that's another 80 grand to my account. Time to go buy me another sports car. <laughs> Everton seems to be kind of working their way up the table a bit. I'm kind of happy for you. You're not no, supposed to be. You're we about have... to get kicked out of the Liverpool fandom. <laughs> no, I, I'm just trying to express some... Look, here's the thing, Patrick. As we're going to read my favorite quote later in this episode from this chapter, sometimes when people need a hug, you just need to hug them. And I feel like with with Adam's constant state of being an Everton fan, sometimes they just need some love. <laughs> so are you no. saying that I need a hug, much like the little boy needed a hug? Is that I, am, I am saying <laughs> that, that I say- am Buriaga to your <laughs> sir. <laughs> are you comparing our pain? <laughs> I, well, we are so glad that you all are here with us, uh, friends, one and all. Uh, we do got we got a lot of usual friends here in the chat. We've got Alexander's with us. Brea's here. Cad Ben is here. Um, Magda Life with the... Is that a top hat? I think that's a top hat. Glad that you're here with us, <laughs> looking at your username. Um, so glad that y'all are all here. We are live in Discord every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Our episodes hit the Utini Patreon feed every Tuesday morning around midnight. If you can't catch us live, 
send us a message if you want to get your thoughts on the air. Um, we've had a couple of patrons reach out to us recently, um, just like with some thoughts, some ideas, some discussion topics. And we'll try to weave in some of those today. Um, anytime you want to get in on this, let us know. Updates, Mr. Adam Dyson. Would you like to tell us what's going on in the Discord? Other than you posting Charlie Day gifts, which is fine. <laughs> I do what I can. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we've moved to 800 members. So I thought I'd just keep pointing it out, these big member milestones. So with the Light of the Jedi and all the rest of the High Republic releases, we seem to have had a huge influx of members and it just keeps growing and growing. I would say, you know, okay. as we get new members, you know, make them feel welcome, etc. But it's a bit hard when we get 20 a day. So just do what you yeah. can. Just We'll just keep the vibe that we have in the server going because it's meant to be the safe place that it is. So, yeah, just thought I'd shout out another member milestone. We are working on kind of restructuring some things as a company um, and trying to see exactly what direction we're heading here in the next, you know, one to three years or so. So keep your head on a swivel there. Um, really excited about all the content that is coming. And speaking of content that is coming, book schedules for us, you already know, we're doing the legendary Timothy Zahn Heir to the Empire in February. We have one more week of Light of the Jedi to get through. But I'm just going to go ahead and, and reveal a little a little spoilery tidbit here for you all that uh, we already know what we're going to do for March. We are going to read because we've loved so much covering this new release with y'all. In March, we are going to read Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price by Alexander Freed. So it drops the first week of March. Go ahead and get your pre-orders in. Alexander, I see you. There's no way on God's green earth we are going to be reading I, Jedi. That has already been done and did by our man, Corey Helton. We don't need to read that here. It's OK. This is a safe space. We, we here to comfort each other, not to not to suffer. <laughs> Not like that. Um, but I'm super excited. We're going to read Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price um, in March. So if you haven't already pre-ordered it, definitely do that. I will make sure that it gets into our show notes and that we eventually throw it up in the Start Here channel. Um, that way y'all can go and get access to it and be ready once it drops. So, Adam, did you uh, read within the chapter count that you were supposed to this week? Or, or, or did you cave to the pressure and finish the book? I have integrity, Timothy. So I stopped at uh, chapter 32. <laughs> no, okay. no, I caved. I caved. <laughs> I went all the way through. I'm so proud of you. And then, and then I was telling the guys that I, the next day I read Test of Courage, and then the next day I read the, the, the comic. So I am all caught up on the High Republic. So there'll be no more speculation from me for this book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am so proud that you caved. This was just so good. Um, I am not surprised, Adam, that you could not stop reading it. And Patrick, I know you finished it, but what did you think about this whole section before we get into the summary and get into questions and everything? Had heart palpitations reading this section because it's just so... Is that pinnacle it's like that going up a roller coaster part that's really high and then you can see your car from the top of the roller coaster and you feel like your heart going to the bottom of your stomach that's what it felt like it was incredible um so here we go uh spoiler alert continue on at your own risk 
Um, if you haven't read this book yet, why are you here? Go go read the book. Finish it like our boy Adam did. All right. Guys, who are they? They're the Nile. What do they ride? They ride the storm. And who guides them? The eye. And what does the eye see? Whatever they want. These people are horrible. Uh, the Nile are responsible for everything bad going on in the galaxy right now. They're responsible for ship destructions in Abdallus. Um, Pan Aetis, uh crew gets the spoils through the rule of three for everything they did through that. They fight, they die, they reap rewards together. They only took five or six ships, but it's time to punish the reason that it got botched, the reason that one of the ships didn't make it. Crew member gets tossed into no space. Martian Rowe takes the Tempest Runners to talk about the future. One of them apparently killed his father, Asgar Rowe. The eye controls the paths. He decides how they're used, what they're going to do with them, all of that. It's time to slow down, though. They've caused too much of a scene. They call a vote. Ties go to the eye. So they chill. On a planet called Elfrona, it's a hard place, but it's a good one. The Blythe family is kidnapped by the Nile. And the Jedi, including Belzettafar and the great Loden Greatstorm, mount a rescue attempt before the Nile are able to take the family off-world. Avar Chris and Jedi Knight Elzar Man speak with members of the Santeca on Naboo, who know hyperspace better than literally anyone else in the galaxy. The Santecas assure the Jedi that it is impossible for a collision to happen in hyperspace, but it's clear that they're not telling the truth. Martian Rowe travels through hyperspace with the help of an old Force-sensitive woman named Mary Santeca, who is able to find the secret hyperspace passways um, that Rowe supplies to the Nile, though the Nile have no idea how he actually has access to them. He's keeping her a secret. After a scare on her life, she tells Roe that she can identify where the legacy-run emergences will exit out of hyperspace, giving the Nile an advantage over the Republic, who have tasked a man that we all love, um, I especially love, Kevin Tarr, he's a beast, of the Hetzel system, to manufacture a device run by thousands upon thousands of droids to anticipate where the emergences will appear. And then my boy Buriaga comes in, on the Salvation Class, Republic Medical Frigate, Panacea, I think that's how you pronounce that, uh, Buriaga and Nibasek try to bring some closure to some of the survivors of the legacy run. Uh, Burry actually meets Surge, that kid from chapter one, uh, and learns the Nile were involved, which is crazy. Adam, looking out to you, my boy Surge. When Kasav, one of the Tempest Runners, tries to take advantage of the planetary system Iriadu by offering to destroy the emergences he knows are coming, something goes wrong, making him a target of the Republic. When the Republic begins tracking the emergences and moving to destroy them, they get into battle with the Nile, led by Tempest Runner Lorna D, which results in a loss of lives, um, including Jedi Knight Tayami. Uh, Lorna D and her surviving Nile end up escaping. With the Nile exposed to the cause of the Legacy Run disaster, Chancellor So is committed to having them brought to justice and calls on the Jedi to help, though they struggle with the idea of the Jedi entering into a military battle. In light of Kassav's and Lorna D's failures, Martian Rowe makes an example of Kassav before the whole Nile assembly and uses the opportunity to reorganize the Nile under his leadership. Above Elfrona, the Nile ship containing the kidnapped family gets prepared to toss the youngest child out of the airlock. Oh my gosh, and that's where we end? What? Magdalife. I am I I I resonate with your pain and the fact that they're about to do this to this poor child. Um, Adam, what were your thoughts on this? Just wow, this this book just kept getting better and better, and really it just pushed me into finishing the whole thing, uh, especially at the end when they were literally going to throw a small child <laughs> out of a ship. It's just they just 
they're just savages and I think that this section of the book really highlighted that and really highlighted, especially at the start, just what Martian Rowe is, is capable of. It's not particularly powerful in terms of physical strength or anything like that, but he just, he has a cunning mind. And now that I no longer require to speculate, like you just, you see it. He just, he is the intellectual power that he controls over the other three. It was just on display here and I loved it. Don't, yeah, you don't absolutely. Be, you don't have to be the physically the strongest person in the group, but if you can outwit the others, then you're good to go. Yeah. Well, before we get into to him, because he's definitely got some some sneakiness, some really psychologically deceptive stuff going on. Um, are the Nile in general the villain that you were looking for? Like last week, you were talking about how they just seemed super menacing, um, and like 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 we needed a solid villain worth like rooting for to be bad um do you do they hit this after getting to know more of them yeah i think so like i just wanted chaos right i didn't really just yeah. unadulterated chaos they come in they destroy and they leave and it's just you can't predict what's going to happen next i think that i was i'm still getting that but i'm also now seeing the martian row aspect where he clearly has a plan and he mm-hmm. he knows that they are chaos, but he's gonna he's going to control that chaos for his own personal gain. So I think that it, yeah. I'm getting what I wanted, and now I'm, I'm getting it expanded. Yeah, no, that's great, mm-hmm. Patrick. How about you? How do you feel about the Niles' like kind of full blown introduction now that we get a, a sense of who they are? As the Nile, I find them not as much. As like the main antagonist, I find them more of a tool of the main antagonist. Mm. I was always considering the farther along we went, like Marcion Rowe is like the main cunning villain. Because yeah. if you take him out of the equation, like they're nothing more than just common raiders. And you know, common raiders aren't gonna do nothing against a purely like well trained, organized um military and the Jedi Knights that they have no chance. But through his cunning deception, his um, force-sensitive secrets, yeah, he, to me, is the real main antagonist. He is the mind of the Nile. Yeah, for sure. And we definitely get that way more clearly towards the end of the book. Um, He's basically using the Nile as a meat shield, you know, for all intents and purposes, um, to do whatever he wants to do. He is using them as pawns very easily. Um, and yeah, while we're talking about him, can we talk about his super frightening use of Mary Santeca? <laughs> um, like, holy cow, that is super creepy um, and super messed up, right? Like he's got her in this giant, basically castle of a ship that it's just him, some like droid guards and a doctor and her locked up to this device machine. And she seems like, like Stockholm syndrome almost. Right. Um, Patrick, how did that hit you seeing her one, a uh, force sensitive Santeca, um, knowing this is who that, you know, we were, earlier in in the section that we're reading right we when avar and elzar went to go meet with the santecas they're like who is she talking like is she still alive there's no way and then we meet her like how did all that set would sit with you i loved like the little connection of how we get you know in um force awakens lore santeca he's a member of the what the church of the force or something like that 
if I remember that, that correctly. Right. Yeah, something like and that. And then, yeah, we're going back what three hundred years from that that specific movie, and then he's you know he's got four sensors. Anyway, I thought that was a great callback. Also, it really cements the sociopath within him. Within him, Lord, I've been drinking, but um, yeah, no, it admits it really cements that yeah, this guy's nuts. Like he's a he is ruthless. He is cunning, and he's he's smart enough to pick all his mark and all his time just right. I'm not going to give him Palpatine levels of cunning because you know that's like greatest villain of all time cunning, but he's somebody you he'll cause somebody a lot of problems. He'll cause a whole he'll cause a lot of issues. Yeah, for sure. Adam, do you feel similarly? Uh, were you as as haunted by him um, as I, as I was? Yeah, so he's 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 clearly done some like some pretty horrible things. Um, but for me, like one of the main things that really got my skin crawling was when he was dealing with Mari, but he would pretend to be the family member that she was talking with, whether it be a son, even a father, even though he's clearly decades younger than her brother whatever else was described by Charles Sewell it's just that takes a particular type of darkness where you're not doing it to make this person feel safe you're doing it to ensure that you have the ability to manipulate this person into giving you exactly what you want what you want so I found that to be particularly you know creepy frightening that he was willing to do that that he's willing to take that next step and you know that level of manipulation because she's being like she's described as an elderly woman, like beyond elderly at this point, and she's been there since she was a child. Like between him and his father, they've just basically brainwashed this girl. So yeah, yeah. Like he's done some pretty horrible things, um, physical things, but like just that psychological warfare with this girl was yeah a big, very much creepiness. Yeah. What did y'all think about the, um, you know, this particular set of chapters was really strong in referencing some of the uh, the sequel stuff in referencing all of Star Wars. Let's be honest, we're in the meat of it. Right. We go to places like Naboo. We meet the Santecas, you know, obvious, uh, you know, tied to Lore Santeca, which also ties to the Rise of Kylo Ren comic um, where Lore Santeca and Luke and Ben actually go to Elfrona and we see all this. And knowing that Lore Santeca um, and the Santeca family have such a history with hyperspace and things, I think it's so awesome that if I'm not mistaken, that Lore Santeca is the one that points Luke to Octo and points, you know, Poe and them on how to find him on Octo. I think that's so cool that they're kind of backdoor building all of these connections together. Um, And just the just the main connection of knowing that Laura Santeca was able to pass these maps along and it started here. And it seems like it started with Murray from all of of her work, possibly with these paths. Um, you know, it seems like there was a, a, a thing mentioned where, you know, Martian is trying to store some of these, maybe like he's not using many of the paths that she's giving him. So, like, where do these go? Like, this could change everything. Right. Um, Adam, do you have anything you want to say about that? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Like we think of law and we think of his affinity with the force through the Church of the Force. But 
I think the High Republic goes even further and actually puts his family into that, that hyperspace realm. So perhaps when we start thinking law, we start thinking travel, we start thinking hyperspace, we start thinking travel through the Force. Because as you said, even in The Force Awakens in you know, the rise of Kylo Ren, he, like, he is primarily involved in that space either way. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we haven't seen much else of his family in the sequel trilogy, and you know, part of me is this family in the High Republic, they're, they're rolling in credits... Um, they still yeah. seem to be a decent family. They're still helping with the great disaster, etc. Like you know, when you see a lot of a lot of wealthy people and they give up their possessions and then they go into their their faith like full on. Like is this is this is this was is that law where the family kind of just started to give everything away and then they he, they moved straight like really just into the force itself in the church. So I'd love to see some more links build up as we go along. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I'm sure we're going to get plenty of it, plenty of it as well. Let's move to Elfrono since we mentioned it briefly here. Um, Patrick, what did you think about this quote unquote new planet? Um, hard, but made of good people. Um, kind of gives off a little Western vibe. I don't know. How, how'd you feel about it? Yeah, it gave me a, it gave me a lot of like space West Texas vibes. Hmm. I'm not gonna lie, like it was very just like you know, very mineral, very rocky. Did I just say very mineral? Didn't know you that did. was a thing. That's did not fine. know that was a thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just very rocky, very dry, very, you know, like country. But yeah. No, just a very a very peaceful place to be. Yeah. And I was gonna say, um, it got brought me back to Master and Apprentice about how Qui-Gon always thought that the Jedi, especially the younger ones, should be living in, like, smaller groups, somewhere isolated. Well, not too isolated, but away from, like, the machinations, of course, and the politics to commune with regular people in nature. That's... And you can truly see why this is, like, one of the peak times for Jedi when they're actually, you know, following through on some of this. Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, Alexander threw up um, the picture from Rise of Kylo Ren, where you actually get to see um, the Elfrona, you know, Jedi outpost. I think it's really awesome, you know, that we get this picture of Jedi outpost life. Um, Juliana messaged me um, a couple of days ago and was talking about how quickly, um, you know, the Jedi respond to these calls for help, um, you know, whenever the raid is happening on the Blythe household. And to me, it, the way that this kind of operates, um, you know, the outpost itself is supposed to be built into uh, the planets, the the world that they're living in. It's supposed to very much fit in, um, not not be a standout feature like, hey, the Jedi are here. It's They're very much supposed to blend into the community. But the way that they respond to these calls for help um, reminded me a little bit of Kenobi, uh, you know, with the uh, crate dragon horn system kind of thing. Um, but it, it also real life kind of reminded me of like firefighters, um, at least and especially in the U.S., you know, you've got all these little fire stations in different communities. And as someone has a need, um, you know, they get a call in and then the firefighters go immediately and you know try to k- take care of the situation. They come back and they might be on rotation. They might get called out to other fire stations every now and then, you know, if someone's a man down or something like that. 
Um, but they're so quick to help. And I loved seeing that, you know, they got a cook in the kitchen, um, in the blade of Bardota himself. Um, and it seems like, you know, they have their own things that they can help out with in their own unique ways outside of bell consistently getting thrown off of cliffs. <laughs> um, I love getting to see that aspect of Jedi outpost life there. I did want to ask a question here though, that Juliana kind of prompted and Adam, I guess I'll go with you first. Um, having these outposts everywhere where they can lend a hand, you know, pretty rapidly if needed to, they are very slow to do anything. Um, and they just, they don't seem to be on hand quite as much. Um, what do you think happened there? Do you see the difference, um, in, in how the Jedi are being portrayed here? I think that your analogy, I think that your analogy, um, between, a metropolitan fire service and a rural fire service really um, really hits the nail on the head. So we're looking at a high republic where they're willing to put these Jedi out and about. I know it, like it's a different story, but I'm thinking back to the test of courage. And there's a certain character there from a certain planet, and you know he has an ambassador dad, and they're thinking about joining the republic. Yeah. But there's like a line in there that really like stick, sticks out right now is that he, on his planet even though they're really technically not part of the republic there are jedi living there so hmm. um this this part is definitely reminding me of that part of that story is that they they have a willingness to live out and about and once you do right. that more people are going to be aware of who you are and they're going to see you doing the right thing once you closet yourself on the capital that 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 goes away done yeah so if you spread these jedi like between systems and those jedi on those outposts are in uh basically the marshal of those particular systems then that right. that changes everything yeah patrick and yeah and with um what adam was saying it's like when they confine themselves to the capital and you know people in, in our world everyone's disgruntled about politics in one way or another once you're always seen amongst that you become in every in the populist mind nothing more than that which everybody complains about and hence why it was so easy for them to lose the trust to the public yeah it's uh, i've i've loved how they've been able to to build back some of this um it's one of those things that you don't like you don't uh, it's kind of the reverse of like you don't know what you're missing until it's gone um it's like we're getting to see that after the fact in reverse of like we had nothing and now we're seeing what it what it could have been um you know if if things had just gone more right um and like it is it's very interesting you know like those who are australian if they listen to this show or those who have been to australia we tend to catch fire a little bit often it's probably too often yeah and because we have so much bushland we have so many rural centers and rural emergency centers and those rural fire men and women they're all like directly a part of the community like it's they are yeah you have you know the shop the supermarket etc and then you have them like they are integral to the uh, the australian rural community so like i'm thinking about that mentality i'm thinking about this outpost life and they would be integral to that planet everyone yeah. would know yeah. them um you know I've read on, so I know what this is, but you know, you, they're getting the call to help, etc. Like people know to call them. They are part of, them. Right. they are integral to that structure. 
And once you take that yep. away, you you take away like the people's crutch. So yeah. When a fire, if yeah. there's a fire, it's not coming out. <clears throat> yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the Tempest Runners, um, the raid on Iriadu in particular with Kasav. Um, he's and please, y'all are listening to the audiobook, so please correct me if I'm butchering these pronunciations. It's guesswork for me. Um, how it's did Kasav? No, I'm just kidding. Kasav, sorry. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, Kasev is reckless. Um, and how did it hit you guys that he would just, you know, go off and, and try to hold basically Iriadu for ransom? Patrick, did that uh, take you back at all? Were you surprised? No, no he's an idiot. Let's yeah. be honest. He's kind of an idiot. Um, so it's like, yeah, like I never saw his plan working out that well because, you know, idiots don't have like foresight or planning or a good thought process they just do especially just when something you, stupid especially when you are out of your mind on the star wars equivalent of cocaine <laughs> yes it, wait and up down fire yes AKA star wars equivalent of marijuana Yes. Um, my gosh, these guys, this, this just, is crazy. So I, I did not listen to the audiobook, but I listened to a clip from this particular section. And my God, Mark Thompson is a freaking beast. The way he killed that whole scene, the music behind it. I mean, like this was a whole nother level. I felt like I was there and watching it and I was like, this is this is a wild rave that I did not want to be invited to. How did I get here? <laughs> a rave from an 80s movie where you see a guy with like a green spiked mohawk and like a leather jacket with all the zippers that like was in a Michael Jackson video. I was it the question uh, though? Was was it Batman versus Robin with the, the motorcycle gang scene that was very much like this? Yeah, I could be wrong. <laughs> Yes. Wait, is that the Batman with like the nipples on the bat suit, like George Clooney? I think that's Batman Forever, but I digress. <laughs> okay. All right. I I do have one serious question. Since there's no mention no. of like actual credit cards or anything, or and there's no such thing as a dollar bill, I want to know how they were doing cocaine. Were they just putting their face on the table? I mean, or were they just, why like, not? Or were they just like take like they have like one of their Trandoshan friends just like dip a whole claw in there and just like put it in someone's nose? I'm sure you could find some ways I, to use some calamari flan or something like that. I, listen, I am not I am not advocating for this, uh, but and, you know, I don't have any experience in it, so I couldn't really tell you what what they could or couldn't use. Um, I'm just thinking of horrible bosses and, you know, maybe you just drop it on the floor and something happens and you never know. <laughs> oh, yes, they did have pills, too. Like, ex- they, yes. yes, Magdalife said there was pills. Yes. Yeah, Would there's there's all kinds of crazy pills? stuff. And like not only it's like is... like part gas, part pill. The it's like the uppers were one and the downers were the other. Like it's a whole thing, man. Like so crazy. And not, not Adam, only... these guys not overdosed in the middle of a battle. Sorry, Adam. <laughs> That's okay. And I was gonna say it's not only is that is this whole idea stupid to begin with, but the planet that they pick to do it to is Tarkin's home yeah. planet, is a planet of Tarkin's. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and if those of you who have read you, Tarkin, you know what to expect. And you, and you said you listened to a little of the audio book. I don't know if you would have heard the gov- – if you listened to a section that included the governor's voice. The governor's voice, it is a, it is a, it is a female governor, and Mark Thompson, just, he does it really well, but she just gives – she just 
you can tell that she all she's thinking about is revenge. She's getting extorted. She's, a- she's going to give away whatever she needs to give away. But at, in the end, she knows yep. that she will hunt this bloke <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah. Answer me this. Doesn't she sound like Governor Price off Rebels? Yeah, I would give it that. But like yeah. a much more vengeful Governor Price. Like, yeah. Like, like of all the planets you don't want the smoke from, but um, Tiss. Yeah, like Gov- well, Governor Price be- blows up be- the fuel tank. This governor skips the field tank, gets out of the walker, and goes and fights Kanan, like, hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, if you're a license, you will learn it, day boy. Like, it's like just... of, all the, of all the planets that you could have picked, <laughs> yeah. this was the wrong one. Like, the only way you probably could have done worse is, like, picking Mandalore or something like that. Like, <laughs> like this, was, this was a mistake. <laughs> well, you knew the whole thing was a mistake when, like, when they're back in their headquarters. That- mm. That we will allude to in a second when they uh. did so much coke and drugs that they're like, oh, all right, let's go fight some Jedi. No, that's a bad idea. No, put the drugs down. Go to rehab. Yeah. That's this not, is, you don't want them problems. This is why you don't do drugs because yes. you make bad decisions and bad things happen and mean people come and attack you when you mess with their house. <laughs> like, 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 no, you know better. Stay ground loss. Open blaster carry is like legal. Just, they do shoot you. Alexander said when they said High Republic, this is not what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Crazy. Absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah, that was a mistake. I love that they brought back Iriadu into this. I love that it's Tarkin's home world. I love that that's yet again another connection. Um, and it helps to flesh out some of the stories that we've gotten Previously, I think, um, you know, Tarkin was one of the first, I think it was number two or number three in terms of the new canon, you know, books that had been released, um, you know, after the the buyout and everything. And it was an all right book. Um, I loved it. It's one that I think I appreciate more after the fact. Um, like long after I've read it, I'm like, oh, man, that book is really important. And I think this caused me to once go back and be like, oh, I know exactly what these type of people are, who they are, the things that they're going to do. They're very vengeful. Um, and and if you take something of theirs, they will get something back from you. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, they will end you. It's like if you read it, also if you listen to the audiobook, you can tell that they're pretty serious people. But if you had read Tarkin and, and, yeah. then, you, and then you were to read or listen to this book, you understand how much of a mistake that really is <laughs> because yeah know, coming from like a book that was what 2015 is now kind of being referenced right. in a way because it like without Charles Saul having to write it if you have read Tarkin and read some of the expanded material around this planet and its people you just know that that's just this is all bad all bad <laughs> yeah yeah well and this just once again i think illustrates soul's love for star wars in general i mean there are so many different connections here and he's pulling some deep lore out um that's just really fun to see patrick mm. I, all right guys i'm starting to understand why the republic started to get into some decay here lack uh-huh. of dui checkpoints because <laughs> those guys were flying across the whole galaxy high as a kite and not once was somebody pulled over and breathalyzed or piss test <laughs> not a once you can't be doing that that that's how you fly you're, into a planet no 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 you're right they weren't even using the pads to get there yeah. <laughs> no they were just all coked out and high and just said full steam ahead just, just pull, punch it 
pull them over if they're high. Can you please step out of your vehicle? It's a good test. If they step out of the vehicle and die in, in, vac- in you know, deep space, then they're high. Chrissy, got you, you crackhead. I think while we're still talking about the Nile, I'm going to uh, to move to, you know, getting tossed out of an airlock and things like that. I do want to talk about no space and the great hall of the Nile mm-hmm. um, before I bounce back and we hit um, uh, Avar and Elzar making it rain. But um, what did y'all think about this? No space, great hall of the Nile. There's just in nothingness with this, you know, platform and like a bubble shield. And if you don't like them, you do something wrong. You just get tossed out and they watch you float away. Um, Adam, how'd that hit you? It's pretty frightening that you know you think that you have found this group because you know from what we've read they they do value like come join us you get freedom etc but really like you don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, especially mm-hmm. if you're at the strike level like you are a little more than trash at that point and it's right it's just really interesting to see their propaganda and the way that they clearly get people in who weren't forced in those who willingly joined and these people have willingly joined for a reason just to then be thrown out the door. Like you got five out of six ships. You would think that that's a win, but no, for them, that is a punishment. But just with the hall. Sorry. Can I tell you what what it really sounds like to me? The Nile sounds like a multi-level marketing scheme to me (laughs) (laughs) with their different tiers. Yeah. And, you know, it's just... (laughs) Oh, someone messed up. You yeah. didn't pull your weight this month. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. We say for, for 500 credits, you get the first level. What concludes the first level? For 500 credits, you get the first <laughs> level. But what is that level? It's the first level. Yeah. Piggybacking <laughs> off of piggybacking off of Magda Life, uh, you know that Martian Rose driving a pink Cadillac. <laughs> something like that, right? <laughs> he sells it. But just He sells Avon and Destics out of the same car. But like just back to like Anyways. the hall as well. Yeah. Like the hall's pretty cool. Yeah. Like it really leans into that Norse vibe that they're given off. I do have one question though. How trippy would that thing to be look to look out into space in a bubble when you're that high? Because yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's not a I mean, it's probably like a awe inspiring like it's a, it's well, I shouldn't say probably. It is awe inspiring when you're sober. I like I've been to space before. Yeah, mm. <laughs> well, totally good throughout the system. It it kind of reminded me, honestly, of for those of us that have seen Stranger Things. Um, it's when like like Eleven goes, you know, fully um, uh, sensory deprived, and she's just in blackness. Like that's kind of what I imagined. Like not even seeing space, considering they call it no space. Like it's just complete and utter blackness. I don't know if that's 100 percent accurate, but that's the way that it felt to me. And I was just like, whoa, this is this is crazy, and I would be super freaked out by it. Adam. That's why they have the drugs. I think of everything that I've yet to see drawn, I really need to see this hall in the comic. I need mm. to. That is the perfect yes. place for an artist to just get full creative, use the words of the authors, and just go nuts. And I think that this could really be one of those prints that will be remembered just from the descriptions alone in this book. Yeah. Well, and I'm, you know, I, I do want to give a shout out to A Test of Courage, which does have 
you know, some pictures in it. Um, I want to give a shout out to the comic for sure. I mean, these colors are phenomenal. The artists are doing such great work and we've already gotten a lot of concept art, but actually reading, you know, the finalized um, stuff that's there. Yeah. A thousand percent. This is a whole um, incredible new world to lay eyes on um, to read about it is fantastic, but any, any extra help you can get, Definitely encourage you to pick up the comics, to pick up the test of courage and to pick up everything else that's coming out. Um, that's going to have, you know, these illustrations because it, it really helps you see the world in a whole different way. Um, yes, I highly want to see the, the Great Hall in some form this way. That would be really, really cool. Um, all right, let's go back. Talk about Avar and Elzar making it rain. Dude, that was freaking crazy. So in Legends, and actually the guys just talked about this on the Living Force uh, this past Monday um, about dark side powers and how, you know, the Sith, like at one point Palpatine in the uh, the comics that take place, I just lost, lost them off the top of my head, the name of them, uh, but that take place right after like the Thrawn trilogy and stuff. Like Palpatine can make like tornadoes and storms and stuff like this. This is like the Jedi equivalent, and you can tell how difficult it is that they just kind of help the force make it rain to cool off these Navidroids that are overheating, which is a really cool thing on its own. Um, but Patrick, I want to see, did you make that connection to some of those old legends uh, kind of force powers at all? I did. I The only thing about that, what you were saying about um, Palpatine's, it was more ritualistic, if I remember in the a specific comic, like where he made a thunderstorm over the city, and he the yeah. thunderstorm gave people nightmares because it was like a dark side thunderstorm, and it was supposed to like induce fear. Is that that same comic? Uh, I don't think so. It might be a little bit different. Because there's, I remember there's one where he had like a ritual where he cuts his hand and touches like a Sith crystal. I don't think this is it. Or I also read it. I also read it really fast. So <laughs> I will say. Because there's one where he makes a thunderstorm. I think he like, okay. Oh, I, th- I think he shocks like lightnings the Sith crystal, and gotcha. causes a thunderstorm. And it's like I'm, a thunderstorm I'm not surprised to either fear. way. I got you. That makes sense. Yeah, I I know what you're talking about now. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I was like, but back to what you were saying. To me, I always like even like with the OP Jedi powers, like from uh-huh. Legends, they always seem more in tune with the Force and more, you know, harmonic. Um, Sith powers always seemed ritualistic. I got you. Like they're as, like once they get past Sith lightning, everything was like ritualistic. Like oh, let me essence transfer. You know, I'm performing right. this ritual just right, and um, I'm stealing your soul, mine. Yeah. Um, you know, Adam, I loved seeing how how connected Avar and Elzar were. Um, obviously, everyone in the in the the universe in real life is trying to ship these two. Um, you know. What did you think about their connection? Like they go to sit down and he's like, this is what we're going to try to do. And she's like, this is impossible. There's no way. Um, and then they, they do the thing. Uh, what did you think about it? All I'm thinking is just, I'm just going to sit here and wait for Claudia Gray to tell me how I'm thinking when she writes the book about those two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Please. Gonna, yes. Happen. I'm calling it. You tell me how to think Claudia. I'm just going to wait here patiently. <laughs> no, it's just, yeah. I think it just says what you what you're capable of when you fully open yourself up to the force. I think that we see in the prequel trilogy and beyond, and and you know Luke hits some hot some very big heights in the sequel trilogy. But like what you are able to do if you open yourself up fully and you follow the 
the Jedi path. Clearly, Avar Chris is, you know, a gold standard Jedi. She is the paragon of the Order. Like, she, she mm-hmm. has this ability. Um, Elzar Man, too cool for school, but he's still, like, he, again, is what I would call a Jedi. And which is why I think, you know, I'm probably not the only one who could see Elzar Man just as the Order starts to inwardly collapse on itself and we get to the prequel era if he's still around you can see i can see him leaving because he is just the jedi and avar is the jedi like they're just exactly what you would want out of the order and again because of that because they are the jedi they have this ability to do such amazing things yeah I love his his want to continue testing the limits of the force. Yeah. Um and this was really powerful to see here. Um I, for I, sure. I think it really fits in well with the whole idea that what he sees the force as, he sees it as the ocean, as this large body yeah. of water that's just ever expanding and just covers everything to begin with. But yeah, it was just wonderful. And again, that's all I have to say. I was gonna come I'm just gonna go back and just wait for Claudia Gray to tell me how I'm going to be feeling. <laughs> just give it to me now. Patrick, do you have anything else you want to add there? No, I'm going to do it at Zuko by Adam's plan. I'm just going to wait for Claudia Gray to express my feelings in a great yeah. novel. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, let's talk about a place that is very near and dear to my heart because um, very possibly my favorite all-time character was born on this planet. Um, guys, we got to go back to Naboo in this book. Um, one, they produce incredible starfighters. Uh, just shout out to the N1 there. Um, but, I mean, Padme Amidala is my my queen. Uh, I Literally, I think my favorite character in all of Star Wars uh, just an incredible person. But we get a lot of flashbacks to... Wait, Timothy, this comes full yeah. circle. Because your favorite character marries Adam's favorite character. It's the circle of love. And and there at the end, their relationship deteriorated to the point of death. So I get it. <laughs> I get it. Forms of domestic abuse in 30 seconds, but okay. Uh, it, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I got the galaxy out so, of the relationship, though, so I won. <laughs> yeah, but I get the fond remembrance of the person that, that let it all happen. What did y'all think about going back to Naboo? Um, you know, Charles Soule has done such a great job of connecting, you know, some of the, the sequel trilogy stuff. But to go back and, and get this reference to a, you know, a prequel trilogy location um that now we you know supersede that by going even further back now in the high republic uh but patrick yeah what did you think about us coming into boo loved this going back to it and especially like the lake house oh, well not the yeah. lake house but the lake country and it's funny because throughout like the different eu writings it's like nebu was always painted as like this pristine society but it only seems that if you're like, you know, super wealthy, because it never seems like anybody who has like less than 500 million credits is living on this planet. Yeah. Like, yeah. every time they mention something about this planet, it's like, oh, only the wealthiest in the sector can be here. Yeah. I don't know how uh, pristine it is then at that point, but, you know, maybe they're all wealthy. 
Yeah, it's like the like the Beverly Hills of of Star Wars. It's Malibu. Yeah, probably. Um, like you go through the driveway and it's like a bunch of like lake houses and like space Audis, space yes. Ferraris. Yes, and that pink Cadillac. Well, and one of the deep connections here is that, you know, in the book, it says that uh, the artist Omar Barenko um, is said to be living on Verikino or Verikino. I don't know how to say that on Naboo during this time. Um, and he had been said to be a historical resident of Padme's Lake House all the way back since Attack of the Clones tie ins. And now we know that he lived back here during the High Republic. So, I mean, a pretty deep cut um, to see there. Adam, how did how did you feel going to uh, your favorite character's wife's home planet before she was born? I love Naboo. I think everyone does. It's I think over mm. the last what twelve months with just so much prequel material, EK Johnson writing her books, Greg Rucker leaning into um prequel material for this latest Darth Vader run. It just seems to be a bit of a renaissance going on and I love it. And every time that we go back to Naboo, I think I think we'll just feel lucky that we are now we've waited long enough that we can actually now go back to these places. And everyone loves it. Like, yeah. Just shut up and love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's just, it's, it's just, I you know, agree completely. It's, you know, there's conversations you can have with the fandom and stuff, but like it took us like 18 years to get here. <laughs> so, yeah. It's just, yeah. And any, it's worth any it. Chance we have, any chance that we have to go back, it, it is a beautiful planet. Um, and just the authors can... Uh, just simply describe these locations in such a, a wondrous way and we're going to see hopefully see in the high, i'd love to go back in the high republic comic and see what it's like in the high republic time maybe we get to see the santeca family in that comic run and actually see some imagery mm. yeah that'd be really really cool so outside <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> You know, outside of of connecting to you know pre-established places, we get a lot of new characters still. Um, even outside of of Jedi, um, we do get to talk about some more Jedi. We get Indira and Porter Engel, the Blade of Bardota himself. We get Ember, the Charhound, which I thought was a really cool addition uh, to the 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 quote unquote family here. I love that Charles Soule was able to ride around the you know we don't really like attach or we don't believe in attachment. Um, so we just decided that instead of calling it attachment, the force just brought us a new member of the team. <laughs> it was like, nah, I see what you did there. <laughs> Loophole. <laughs> but I, I loved it. I love that Ember kind of helped come in and, and save the saved at least part of the day here towards the end of this section. Can we um, talk about how Ember breathes fire? Uh, yeah, it's one of the dopest things I've ever seen in Star Wars. <laughs> uh, Wait, super cool. Real quick. I hope that dog is just like, Minpin or just like a Yorkie just running after him and just breathe like a whole fireball like a little Pokemon. Oh man. Well I I believe Ember makes a um debut appearance in well one, uh the concept art, but two, I think on the special edition cover, the out of print cover, I think. I could Hold be on. wrong. But I'm pretty sure pretty sure the Ember shows up there. Yeah, I think Alexander's right there with me. Uh, either way, super cool, and I definitely want a little uh, a little charhound myself. Uh, just maybe with some, uh, you know, less less fire. <laughs> um, but out of the new Jedi that we met, Indira Porter Engel, um, obviously we got to see some more Bell and Loden. But 
you know, between the new Jedi and Deer and Porter Engel, did, did either of those stick out to you, uh, Adam? Uh, do you find that you favored one over the other? I think Porter's story for me was just really just hits you. That he, the blade of Bardota, like he, literal blade master by the sounds of it, like the old blade master title you'd see in, in the old Republic. And now he's just enjoying his retirement on this, on this deserty planet in the outpost where he enjoys cooking. So yeah. It's, it's just that his nickname implies that he was 100% into the warrior culture of the Jedi. And he's probably put that lightsaber through a few pirates or two. It's just, Yeah big fan of that character and then i love that ember came to his rescue that was cool <laughs> yeah I, I love that that he's um you know that porter is kind of positioned at first as like yeah he's been through some things but he's like kind of retired and this is like the way that he's going to go out um, but then you get that moment where bell is like i don't know that i'm prepared to see one of his ghosts like you know to see what he used to be um, and the fact that you can be on the on the light side of this and be a little bit, I don't know, the kind of reverence that he kind of has for him of like, I, I'm no one's ready for this, Adam. And I think it's really interesting, like the way that he describes how he feels before, when he has to get his blade out. Like he, I think yeah. he knows it's anger, like especially when the mother is pushed out and she uh, and she's been shot with a blaster. Like he is angry. And he wants. Oh, but it's not anger. Exactly. He's, he's just certain. <laughs> exactly. And he has this ability where he then changes his thought process and just. Yeah. Just puts a blanket over it. He's like, nope, it's not anger. It is exactly what I think. I'm going to call it something different and it's going to be something different. Right. It's like he's covering his eyes. If I can't see anger, anger can't see me. Like, yeah. It's just. That, I think, it was like a good little section where you look at that and you look at the idea of anger versus control. And then the idea of Ember joining the team as a, you know, just joining the team as another companion, no attachment, basically just a work colleague. Like just in yeah. this little outpost section of the book, it's just, it's like Charles Saul. It's just like just subtly pointing out all these little problems. And the idea that three, basically three generations of Jedi are just, I think the whole idea that Ember couldn't join the team and be loved and cared for is dumb. Like they have to yeah. think of it in a particular way. And there's three generations of Jedi who think that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I will say that if, if this is, has taught me anything, the way that, you know, the whole Jedi outpost thing goes, I would love to get a uh, long form recurring television series that just lives with a Jedi outpost team. Mm. Um, and and just we get like seasons of them just going off and doing stuff together. Yep. Um, and I would I would love that. You know, there's plenty plenty. Or even make it make it sitcom ish. I'm here for it. Let's do it. <laughs> and I, I think you know, um, they can have the ability to think this way because they are in this outpost. They're not yep. constantly surrounded by their peers and by really the council and being controlled what to think and what to say. Like when they're here, they they can laugh about it. Like Bell could just have a laugh and, and not fear repercussions of any kind. Porter Engel, like because of where he is, the idea of that his anger has now been told is telling himself that he's just certain. Like I'm sure if he was to feel that in the Jedi temple, then everyone around him would feel it and think something completely different. Like they just seem to be able to be themselves in the outpost environment. Yeah. And Patrick. Yeah, no, to Adam's point, I think that's what makes them real 
actual in tune with the Force Jedi, because when you're like we talked about earlier, when you're in Coruscant, when you're in the capital, you're caught up in the political machinations and say it's almost like a saving face at one point with um you're trying to keep this, you know, this glowing beam of light within yourself at all times to you know, save face and show strength for the public almost and keep that high moral authority for the rest of the um rest of the population but when you're you're they're almost, yeah I, I can say they're out in nature living yeah out in nature among the simple folk of the outer rim they're in tune with how the force calls them they're in tune with the like, actual people's needs not a political um swing of the local but actual like you know the farmers need this. We're protecting so-and-so from that. No ifs, ands, or buts. And we're following the forces direction. This is not a Republic thing. This is our thing. Yeah, really cool. Really great, great insights. Um, you know, we're coming up towards the end of the episode. Um, I do want to give a shout out to the fact that Loden Greatstorm detached a weapon <laughs> and fired it on the back of his shoulder pretty much. Um, Loden Friggin Greatstorm is his new name. Um, very similar to Luke Friggin Light, uh, Skywalker. My gosh. Um, Loden's a beast. Shout out to him. That's incredible. Um, the last thing that I think I want to mention, uh, before we get into Patrick's fun question is I, I gotta, I gotta fully read my quote that circles back to the Liverpool Everton kind of fandom here that I saw play out. Um, and I loved that. I love that our boy Serge, uh, from chapter one on the legacy run, I love that he survived. Um, that was one of the last things that Hedda Cassett thought about was, Oh, I hope that the kids made it. Okay. Um, but there's this moment, right, where he's he's there and he's looking kind of sad and Buriaga doesn't want to be at this whole setup where, you know, they're trying to give some closure to the people who survived, you know, there at the Hetzel system. And Serge is just looking very forlorn, very defeated. Um, and Buriaga just kind of looks at him and they, they go and they start this conversation of like, hey, look, I know you can't understand me and I can't really understand you, but like, hey, this is my name and your name is Serge. And um, and then. Buriaga, it just says Buriaga reached out and folded the boy up in an embrace because of the way that he was looking. Um, he couldn't understand why anyone hadn't already done this. When someone was hurting, you did what you could to heal them. When someone was lost, you found them. And I know that we're probably going to get a better quote towards the end of this book that I think may define what this period of time means to be a Jedi and things like that. But this to me was it. Um, as far as as I had read in this book, that that's what the Jedi are, are supposed to do. And in comforting Serge, Buriaga takes on some of that burden so that he can kind of live and breathe a little bit easier. Um, but this is my favorite quote from this particular section. I wanted to make sure that I called it out. And also because I know that Adam, as an Everton fan, really struggles with a lot of hurt and, and literal loss at the fact that they lose often. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just, whether you're a, a rival or not, sometimes you just need to hug someone who's who's feeling a bit down. And so that's just, I just, I thought of Adam when I read this. Much, much love to you. 
So. All the shade was thrown on this podcast. Yeah, yeah you see it, As Patrick. The sun you see sets, it. <laughs> the shade in the darkness has grown I, longer. I am particularly disappointed, Patrick, that Timothy would use Beriaga and his moment with Surge to throw shade at us like that. <laughs> it's not, not used, a very Jedi thing to do. He used a beautiful. <laughs> he, used a, he used a beautiful moment of a little boy hugging a giant teddy bear to throw shade at us. <laughs> well, you can't throw shade at me because I'm on top of the table, so you, you, you can't throw up. It's hard to throw uphill. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. I, I, I lost you a little bit there, Patrick. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> Just let him know it's harder to throw shade uphill up to the top of the table. We'll see. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's something here towards the towards the end of the book that I'll be able to throw at you, especially after tomorrow's <laughs> match, Patrick. So don't 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 think you're safe. <laughs> oh no, we're we're bound to trick it up at some point. Uh well, until we get to that point, um we've gone through some connections that we found. We talked about a lot of fun things, some fun characters, um, the fact that Loden Greatstorm is a beast. But Patrick put in a fun question here that I think would be awesome to talk about briefly. Uh, and then let us know in the comments, if you're listening to us on Patreon, um, let us know who, who you think would fit in this category. So Patrick, I will let you ask it since it is your question. Somebody hit me with the game show music. And the applause. Thank you. All right. This now is why we're free see. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, no, no, no callback to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Let's find out who would be in your Jedi squadron. All flying vectors. We've seen some remarkable piloting in the High Republic so far. Who is your three-man squadron? All flying vectors. It can be Legends Jedi. It can be a Canon Jedi, High Republic. It does not matter who is your leader and his two wingmen. And Timothy. Oh, gosh. So I am going to throw. Um, oh, I just lost her name. Indira. I'm throwing Indira in here. Um, if only because she can not only fly her own ship, but she can fly another ship while she's flying her own ship through the freaking force. <laughs> um, so if she doesn't make your fighter squad, something's wrong with you. Um, no, I'm definitely picking her. Um, I would go with, uh, I'd go with Loden. And my third, I think only to make some kind of uh, concession of um, of shared friendship here. I think I'm going to put Anakin in, in the other cockpit uh, because he's a beast. So just to, to try to help build a bridge that I may have, have blown up with Adam, I'm going to put Anakin in the cockpit. So those are my three, Indira, Loden, and Anakin. I'm done. Adam, who you got? Uh, my leader would be General Anakin, Anakin Skywalker, the height of his flying ability. And on, the, on his yep. um, on his wing would be young Anakin Skywalker, pod racing age. <laughs> and then on his other wing, it'd be burn child Anakin Skywalker in the Darth Vader <laughs> suit. Unbeatable. But all serious, no. Like, imagine, <laughs> imagine Revenge of the Sith Anakin in a vector in a ship that you control with the Force. <laughs> like just imagine he what he could do with the vector a vector before they were given the standard 
actors class ships like oh crazy but I, I will throw like another serious one in is that after reading the comic the single issue high republic keeve trennis uh-huh. and what she does with a vector in that comic is very reminiscent of what anakin would be willing to do <laughs> so wait um, if you have read that comic and you know what i'm talking about and what she does with her ship i think that that kind of creativity to save the day um she would she would go well with anakin skywalker in that ship and then in that is Dira, that is an excellent point i too would have placed indira in there as well just she she flies two ships <laughs> yes see now you got me thinking uh hard on my third third member who who are your first two and we'll help you sort it out all right the first one's anakin because you know he's that man took on the malevolence by himself like everybody was getting shot down and he said kobe <laughs> yeah <laughs> that man literally took it to him um on the wing i was gonna put Loden because you yep. know that man floats the ship mm. yeah all right now for the wild card playoff spot for the last fighter squadron position it's either Flo Koon, oh luke skywalker or um and i just lost her name but Yes, the Jedi who flies two ships. <laughs> Indira. Yep. Indira. <laughs> Indira. Yeah. I just wanted to call her Cure for some reason. I'm like, oh, well, brain fart. <laughs> no, Plo, Plo Koon is a, is a good choice. Mm. I, I was I not would, expecting that, to be honest with you. That's a good pool. Because I feel like he would actually, him with a vector would be very, very, like, I feel like he'd be a mix of like Loden and Anakin. Like, like he can pull off enough crazy, but he's like centered enough where he can he float the ship around yeah. a bit more. Like he's a pretty good pilot. Be less... I think yeah, Wolf... Yeah, you wouldn't dent it up as bad. I think Wolf would disagree. He did beat him in a dogfight, you know, but could be Wolf, just saying. <laughs> he got he got blindsided and dented. Oh, hey, I'm going to be honest with you, though. I think Cad Ben just showed us all up. The fact that Hera Syndulla mm. was not mentioned in this. She is not a good She's not. So, okay, you're right. <laughs> She can, but I, she I has no lightsaber to turn the car on. She, she gets honorable mention. <laughs> she would man, be. Could you imagine if she had a Jedi? She or would, she, sorry, if she had a Jedi, if she had a lightsaber, my well, God. Well, she let's did say have that, Jedi as a husband or a boyfriend mm, at least. We, let's say that Hera is the one that sent the three vectors out. She's she's telling yes. them what to do. <laughs> right, the question. only reason they're there is because she told them to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Patrick. All right, real scenario here. All right. Separatists about to blow up a planet, or about to like blow up um, Republic-controlled city on a planet. Anakin's on the fighter squadron, but Harrison Dula like sent them out there, and she's calling orders. Is Anakin listening for the whole time, or no? Absolutely not. But he should because he's just, he's dumb. See, I, think <laughs> I there's, mean, there's a particular type of character I think that has the ability to control. Anakin Skywalker, and it is a motherly character. She is it. He would do. You're right. He would do anything for Shmi. He does. He we relationship aside, like he would do anything with Padme. I think that particular motherly character would be able to control him. And I think Hera. I think of any of the characters that I'm trying to think of might have a better chance of doing it. Oh, I would. Mm. I would love to see this. Yeah, because because he's definitely not listening to um. Load great storm. I'm sorry. He's not. <laughs> somebody, somebody, somebody work on this fan fiction for me, please. I want to see Hera controlling Anakin uh, and like getting him to do what 
needs to yeah. happen in yeah. the air I think, as I th- a pilot. I think that she definitely falls into that category of someone who could control him. Or not control him, but just help him. Just direct just, him. Yeah, yeah, guide yeah, him. Exactly. Just put just him... Put him put put a, T- yeah. Just a little push into the right direction. He I think that Anakin strong and, female leadership. He does. I think Anakin yeah. and Elzar Man wouldn't get along at all. I think that they are the no, cool. No, they wouldn't. Oh heck no! We need to do a whole episode about how Anakin would interact with all the High Republic characters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I think him and Loden would actually be good together. Because hmm? Loden seems Maybe. like a less rigid Obi Wan. Hmm. Anakin would relish getting thrown off a cliff, too. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Is it my turn, Master? Gosh, I'm also going to think Bray- That'd be his favorite power to, to Master. Mm. Bray's adding some kindling to the fire relationship here, and that Anakin is also someone who probably needed a hug. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. Yes. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Hera definitely, as as much of an impact as she has, yeah, definitely could have uh, could have changed a lot of things. Um, I loved getting to see her in the little Forces of Destiny shorts, mm. uh, where I mean, like her and Han have a conversation. It's like, oh my god, she for sure, for sure survived past Return of the Jedi, and then you know she shows up in you know uh, some of the newer books that have coming out recently. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's it's really cool to see her kind of live past and to get to to see how strong of a character she is. Um, And I really appreciate Star Wars for giving us more um, and more strong female characters. Um, It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Like Dr. Life said is Anakin listening. I snorted. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the answer is no. (laughs) I think, yeah, with Hera, we're completely off the high Republic now, which is fine. But I think like Hera just, she fits what, like the matriarch perfectly. Like if you have, if you, if you've got the ability to play Star Wars squadrons or you've read the Alpha Black squadron books, like she's in that position of power and she cares. So just, yeah. Very yeah. underrated at times. I, I will say to tie it back to the High Republic, I would love to see um, her home planet, which just escaped me. Um, but I would love to see Ryloth. it in this time frame. Yes, Ryloth. Yeah. Good God. I was like, I know it starts with an R. I can't get there. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would love to see Ryloth in this. And I hope that we get it at some point. Um, just for another familiar world, a world that's always been under constant strife um, and to see how the high Republic and how the Jedi kind of work within there. So that's all I've got boys. Uh, Patrick, you got anything you want to close us out with any last thoughts? Uh, I do not. I, I've um, I'm on the down smoke and I need a nap. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Adam, how about you? You just woke up like an hour and a half ago. So are, are you going to take some up powder and go about your day or <laughs> what you got going on? Don't do it. It ruins your life. <laughs> I don't know that from experience. <laughs> you you yep. got anything you want to end with? I'm going to party and then go and try and extort Ariadu and see how far I get. <laughs> no, well, I, best wishes on that. <laughs> now, I think for me, one, like I've got my favorites, but that whole scene with Beriaga was the fave scene in the whole group of chapters for me, him and Serge. And I'm yep. very much on the Beriaga must be protected at all times. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. I think, yeah, just such a, just such a simple moment. And like, 
I think that of all the characters so far we've had, it's Beriago who has that the most compassion that I've seen. He just yeah loves everything around him. Well, and again, it it goes back to I think part of it is it sticks extra strong for me because people who find themselves unable to communicate um, sometimes have to rely on other social cues and have to rely on feelings from people. And so I love that he is not able to express words in a way that people can understand him. So he leans into everything else that he can to have a meaningful relational experience with someone. Um, And that goes to show that you don't just need words. You know, you can go way beyond that and action comes through so much stronger in in many ways. And and to be such a minor character in this as well, to demonstrate that is very strong. Which is, you know, what, why was the favorite moment as well is that, what he did would be frowned upon by everyone yeah. above him, but that's that's all he can do, and it's what he wants to do, and he just does it. And so I just love yep. it. And there's, you know, there is definitely a reason why Beriaga was the center of a great Jedi. Like his point of view was given to the little ones. Yeah, because this is the character that you know my daughter would love, and and other kids would just gravitate to instantly, as mm-hmm. they do, as they, as they always have with Chewbacca. Chewbacca has been their rock. And I think Beriaga is meant to be their rock in this new era. Yep. I totally, totally support that for sure. Um, I I love that moment as well. There, there's a lot of moments to love in this. I mean, this whole book has been nothing short of phenomenal so far. Um, I think that's all we've got. That's all I really have to say. Um, thank you to everyone for listening in. Uh, thank you to Juliana specifically for reaching out and giving us that little tidbit about um, you know, how they um, respond to calls. Um, they're on Elfrona. You know, if you guys have things as you read this last little bit, I also got to shout out my boy Alexander there for, uh, for for finishing the chapters in time to catch us for the whole show live, man. Like, that's what's up. Um, glad to have y'all here, however you show up, whether that's live or you're listening to us on Patreon after the fact. Um, we are now free on Patreon. So if you go to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash utini or utini.com forward slash Patreon. Um, even if you can't contribute to a tier, you can go to the site, um, you can create an account and you can follow our page. And every time that we release a new public episode, you will get that there. So Conjure Book Club is now free. You can go back and listen to all of our previous books, all of our previous episodes. Um, boys, this is the 21st episode. Um, I think we are now the top five of our shows um, for like, I think we finally passed roundtable. So I think we might actually be in the top four for most content on Patreon so far, which is really cool. Um, but I definitely recommend y'all going and doing that. We'll be back next week to talk through Light of the Jedi chapters 33 through 43. Uh, in the meantime, you can find me, Timothy, on Twitter and Discord at underscore TGuy3. Adam is at DarkStarAU and Patrick's on Discord at Mac11. If you want to help support the show, head on over utini.com, look up Light of the Jedi and click the Amazon link on the profile. It'll keep us on the air and help us produce some more awesome content. You will find links to Light of the Jedi, February's book heir to the empire and march's book alphabet squadron victory's price in the show notes and the start here channel in discord um, if you'd like to help us out more directly you can find us on patreon or pick up some merch at utini.com forward slash merch shout out to joxy for the 232 shirt uh, the great disaster shirt there um, in our merch store 
And a special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, Kyle Hickman, Elizabeth Cloutier, and Freddie C on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. Thank you to Adam and Patrick for podcasting with me today. Love you guys. May the Force be with you, everyone. And remember, we are all the Republic.